Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. So, um, you know, I, I was really thinking about how can I talk about being authentic without mentioning the opposite of it, which is hypocrisy. Amen. <laughs> and I've been going in the lobby asking people, I'm like, hey, I really need an example for my sermon today. Um, it's, on, it's on hypocrisy. Would you, would you want to be uh, an example? <laughs> to my surprise, nobody volunteered except Roman. Roman, I'm not sure he knew what he was signing up for, so I think that's not really fair. Um, he was just like, I don't know what you're preaching about, but I want to be part of it. <laughs> and I think, bro, I think you make a bad example, because probably out of all of here, he's probably the least uh, you know, hypocritical person you'll ever meet. I think as we get older, we get a lot more hypocritical. So I thought maybe a good example would be to start with me. Amen? <laughs> um, so just to remind you, somebody clapped. <laughs> um, so the best example I can start with is, um, this is a satire. We're going to play you a video, uh, a video by John Christ. And uh, if you guys know him, you love him. Um, he is a, um, a Christian comedian, uh, and he just kind of deals with satire, which is making fun of some things that we do, and we don't really um, know that we're doing it. So if you guys are ready, go ahead and play that video. I think that Jesus, was I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the Spirit, but y'all need to move. Oh, she is going to wear that. And it bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. Love this church. It's just like, come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I love though? Does the jacket go with the shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents, expected mother. Who doesn't have a parking spot these days? I have been here 27 years. I deserve respect. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Take my parking spot. She she probably needs Jesus more than me. Honestly. Use your mirror. How long does it take to back out of a... Jesus, give me strength. This is so strong. Honestly, there better be coffee. There better be coffee. Y'all are going to make me park in a handicapped spot. Oh, look, there go the homeschoolers. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of the... Oh, hey, are that going to ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're going to drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the... Ro- look at this truck. Where are you? going a church or a trump rally finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late oh it is way too cold out here but you better bring a shuttle or i will watch this service online jesus i am late for church <laughs> i think in all my experience in church i've yet to hear people sit a small group and be like yeah you know i'm just really dealing with being a hypocrite you know nobody confesses to that I think when we talk about hypocrites, it's always the other person. So this morning, if you have somebody sitting right next to you, would you turn to them and say, hey, this sermon is for me? Amen? <laughs> no, do it. <laughs> because a lot of times we always think that the sermon applies to someone else. Oh, if just my mother was here, if she could just hear this, she needs it. And my friend, and, but a lot of times... It applies to us. We got to start with ourselves first. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Matthew 23? Jesus definitely has a lot of a lot of uh, harsh words. Uh, it, it's contrary to the Jesus that's preached nowadays, where Jesus is meek and mild. He is kind. Now Jesus is all of that, 
But there is some other stuff that we know about Jesus. In Matthew 23, the whole chapter there, uh, I don't have time to go into all of it, but it it seems that Jesus reserved some of the most critical um, opinions, some of the most critical truths, some of the most, you know, not nice things to say, not about sinners, not about tax collectors and prostitutes, but about the teachers of the law. Pharisees, the claim to know God, the claim to say, I know God and I know his laws, but they wouldn't walk that out. The hypocrisy was to the level that, let's just read, I think that'll explain a lot more in here. It says this, what sorrow in verse 15. Now, he lays 15 verses before and you can go home and read it, uh, but there's a lot in this chapter and I just don't have time to go over every single verse. But in verse 23, it says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross the land and sea to make a convert, and then you turn the pers- that person and twice that child of hell you yourself are. This is Jesus' words, saying that you are a child of hell. That would make <clears throat> Satan his daddy. Right? Like, that kind of language Jesus uses for Pharisees. He goes on to say blind guides, which is ironic in itself, a guide that is blind. Think about that, right? It says blind guides. What sorrow awaits you for you, um, for you to say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but it is binding to swear by the golden temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold on the temple and it makes the, the or the temple that makes the gold sacred. Are, um, and when you say, or when you say that you swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind! For which is more important, the gift or the altar um, that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne room of God and by God who sits on the throne. Uh, What does he say here? What he is saying here is people would say, you know, can I borrow some money from you? Sure. When are you going to pay me back? Thursday. Okay, great. Thursday comes, and he's like, how do I know you're going to pay me back? I swear by the temple. Okay, that's pretty serious. He's, he's definitely going to pay me back. Thursday comes around and, and, and the loan giver looks at his you know, borrower and says, what's up? Where's my money at? Right? It's like, yeah, but see, I didn't swear by the gold on the temple. I just sweared by the temple. So what he is saying here is that these Pharisees, every single time push came to shove, where every single time they actually had to walk out their word, their promise. Every single time they had to live out their tr- the, the truth that was given in, in the law, they would find a way to maneuver themselves out of it, to break the promise, to say, well, yeah, but that truth, like, it doesn't really apply to me because if you look in Greek and then you look into the modern day language and then if you look, so they always find a way to kind of squeal by and, and, and kind of leave and without actually giving or holding themselves accountable. Right. And God is saying, how... You're a fool. Just because you swear by the temple doesn't mean that you didn't swear by the things that are in the temple, or vice versa. 
When you made a promise to follow after God, when you made a promise to treat people right, when you made a promise to follow up on your debts and pay them, you have to follow up. You don't have to make this complicated or more complicated than it needs to be. They go, uh, he goes on to say, What sorrow awaits you teach us religious law, you hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest of income in your herb gar- gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And you should tithe, yes, but do not de- de- neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow gnat, but you swallow a camel. Let me put this in perspective. What he's saying here is these Pharisees would say, well, I know we've got to give money to God. So they would go and they would take the seeds of that, mustard that would grow in the, their backyard, the seed of their herbs, and be like, one for God, nine for me. One for God, nine for me. One for God, nine for me. It's like, you know, like one for God, nine for me. And they would make it so about that one detail. And God's like, are you kidding me? But you're ignoring justice. You're ignoring mercy. You're ignoring faith. Which one is more important? The next thing was something that maybe we don't understand, but let me put it in context. They would drink water, and obviously a lot of the water there would get bad pretty quickly. They didn't have fridges and ice and all that. So they would, you know, a fly, a tiny fly would fly in their water, and they're like, I, I, I don't want to drink that. I got I to take that out. I just got to take. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you're swallowing a camel. You're not okay with swallowing a small fly, but you're okay with swallowing a camel. Now, what does that mean? What he's saying is you are so focused on the little details, like do people come to church with holes in their jeans? But you make nothing out of the gossip and the the uh, character assassination that you do to people. You're so focused on does the hair hair look right and does this and that, but you're, you're not taking care of the orphan and the widow you're not showing justice where you should show justice and mercy and kindness and so on and so forth so you're so afraid of swallowing a small fly but you're okay with swallowing a camel there's a camel in it like you should probably take care like you know the whole idea that we have nowadays in modern days like the elephant in the room you know what i'm talking about like everyone keeps ignoring the big thing it's like there's an elephant in your room and it's pink. You should probably get out of like you should probably get that thing out before you know destroy something, right? So that's what they would do. It's just it's a different kind of language they use. What sorrow awaits your teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. That's not hard to explain. It's basically they they were so focused on making sure that the cup just looks just perfect and nice and it's just ooh, it's so, but inside of it is just dirt and poison. And Jesus, is like, how, how does that make sense? It goes on. What sorrow awaits you, teachers, hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled inside with dead uh, people's bones, all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In Jerusalem, if you've ever been there, I, I spent about three weeks in Jerusalem, and they would do during like uh, a certain season, if it's, if it's Easter, they would go and they would paint, um, not paint, it's more like they would use this, um, I don't know how, uh, 
I don't really know what it's called here, but uh, this thing that just makes the tombs just really white. It's like a bleach. And Jesus is saying, like, you do all that, and it looks pretty, but inside of it, there's corpses. And Jesus is saying, your heart is kind of like that. In modern-day language, what he's saying here is that you spend half an hour, an hour, and you turn around if your hair was kind of sticking down just a bit. And it wasn't just right. It just has to stick up there. But you're okay with being late to church and not respecting God in that perspective. You're so caught up in, you know, is my kid rowdy, but you ignore the rebellion in the heart. You, you, you might wonder, okay, um, I went three weeks without anybody complimenting me. That feels really lonely. But you go three weeks without reading the Bible and nourishing your soul. This is what he's saying in modern day language. He's that you are, you're so pretty on the outside, but inside it's filthy of lawlessness and all these things. And the only way to kind of clean that up is just go and clean it up. There's no other way. You can put, make it pretty, the cup, the tomb, whatever. At the end of the day, it's still, there's filth inside. And Jesus says, I need to get to that. True, authentic faith is taking care of what's inside, not the outside. He goes on to say, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs of the prophets of your, for your ancestors uh, who were killed. Your ancestors killed, and you decorate their monuments with godly people. Your ancestors uh, destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in their days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. What he's saying here is that us looking at Judas and saying, like, Judas, how can you betray Jesus? But yet we betray Jesus when a coworker asks us, are you a Christian? You're like, oh, just, I, you know, sometimes. Well, when I go to church and my parents, I grew up as a Christian and like maybe, well, it's not, it's not you know, you're making all those excuses. And Jesus is saying here, look, you, you say that if you, were lived in, if you were to live back in the day, you would have done right. But you're filthy. Because he goes on to say, but in saying that, you testify against yourself that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go and finish what your ancestors have started. Snakes, son of vipers. That's, wow. Um, how will you escape the judgment of hell? That's the meek and mild Jesus. Snakes, son of vipers. Nice way to describe your pastor. Like, what? But he understood that this person is corrupt. And he's saying, look, you say that if you lived back in the day, you would have done things differently. But you have a chance right now to do things that, that, that is right. And you are seeking to crucify me. So you might pretend like you've done all that. He says, finish what you started. I know your game. It's kind of like in front of everyone. So I think when, when we talk about not being a hypocrite, I think it's so easy to compare ourselves by other people until we start reading the Word of God. And then you start asking, Slavic, are you like this? Right. Now, it'd be a problem if you asked that. You should ask with your name included, not mine. But, right, like, we are so quick to kind of deflect the blame, deflect anything. And in that, we hide. In that, we just kind of shove away anything that we don't like. I remember... We went um, 
uh, when I was a kid, I, I went to school, and I've, I've said this story before, I think, once, but, but I went to school, and everyone was looking at me like, and they would just kind of walk away, and they start laughing, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, you know, I'm like, is my fly closed? Like, are my shoes okay? Like, I'm trying to check myself until my best friend comes up to me and says, bro, you got toothpaste all over your face. Somehow I brushed my teeth, and then I left toothpaste. I was a kid, okay, so I'm just ex- and we were too poor to buy mirrors. No, I'm joking. We weren't. <laughs> but somehow, I ended up going to school with that stuff on my face until somebody came and told me the truth that this is nothing. Bro, you should probably wipe that off. Another story, we went, uh, <laughs> we went snowboarding in Mount Hood, and there was this girl that she would not wake up. No matter what, she would not wake up. And her friends, you know, her girlfriends were trying to wake her up. And and she you could they would take her up and put her up against the wall and she would like she would be sleeping so obviously they decided all these girls decided to play a trick on her and basically wrote on her forehead loser which i don't recommend you should ever do that to your friends if you still want to have a friendship after but um so she gets downstairs and we're like what is what and everyone starts to laugh, and then she walks to a mirror, and she's like, oh, wow, you guys are losers. You spelled losers backwards. Because she looked in the mirror, and she saw backwards, <laughs> loser. <laughs> so we're like, sure, <laughs> sure. Like, you know, I am so glad that we do have mirrors. But in the spiritual realm, we have to have, you know, mirrors that point our own, like, our own face is how we look like. Yeah. I remember the story, um, this is a novel written by a very ungodly person. Uh, his name is Oscar Wilde. But Oscar Wilde was, was a novelist and poetry, he wrote poetry and so on and so forth. And he wrote this novel called The Picture of Dor- Dorian and Gray. Yeah. And uh, the story goes like this, that uh, I'm going to make it really quick. Uh, I, I just want to give you kind of the picture of it. Um, there's this young young guy who is really good looking. He has a lot of things going for him. He inherited a whole bunch of money, and he commissioned this painter to paint his picture. And as he's painting the picture, um, this other friend of the painter comes over and says, "Well, yeah, it's so nice for you to be all good looking and have all this money, but all that beauty will fade." And my advice to you is to indulge yourself in all the pleasure that you can get until your beauty fades, because you will fade. Every single time you do something uh, like wrong, you will show on your face. You will show as you will have a effect on you. So he makes. So this young man says, "Well." I really hope that doesn't happen to me. So he makes this kind of wish, and the wish is that I hope that whatever's supposed to happen to my face happens to this portrait. And he says, in that, in that exchange, he says, I would give my soul for that. Well, it's obviously a fictional story. Uh, it's not something that actually happened, so relax. Uh, but what happens next is that the wish comes through, and the p- portrait... You know, he goes and he falls in love with this girl, and then this girl turns out to be a horrible actor. And she t- he tells her that, you know, you, you're, you're good for nothing. She goes home and commits suicide. And now he lives with this guilt, but he kind of brushes off. And then one time he goes to this portrait, and he sees some wrin- wrinkle on his face. And the more he dives into this, like, wicked lifestyle... Nothing in his appearance changes, but, you know, he's doing drugs, he, he sleeps around, he does all these things, 
right? Nothing is happening with him. But from time to time, he goes and peels the curtain and looks at this picture, and this picture becomes hideous. And the whole point of the novel is to show that even if you don't see it on your physical body, the marks of your sin, at the end of the day, your heart will show it. That picture was a representation of this person's heart. And I think a lot of times when we go home, we can pretend that we're, nothing really changed. We've sinned. We haven't repented. We haven't come to Lord Jesus Christ for salvation or anything like that. And we look just like everyone else on the outside. But inside, our heart is like that picture is getting more and more hideous day by day as it goes on. And from time to time, we go and peel the curtain and say, this is the true person of who I am. Because you see, your character or who you are is when, you're, when nobody's watching. It's not who you show, and it's not who I am on stage here. It's not who I am outside of, of this sanctuary. It's who I am is really who I am when no one is watching. When I am in the private, in privacy of my home, when I'm in my car, the things that I think about, the things that I'm dealing with, that's the true self. A lot of times people like to put you on the pedestal, especially if you're in teaching or preaching. But at the end of the day, like, I have to remind them and myself that like, if it wasn't for Christ, I would know I'll be nowhere. If it wasn't for him taking me out of mud, I wouldn't be standing in front of you. And it's not because of how good I am or how perfect I am. It's because of his grace that, that, that saved me. It's his mercy. It's his kindness. It's his love towards me, unconditional love that put me here. So if there's something to be worshipped, it's him, not me. If there's something to be give, thankful for, is his sacrifice on the cross. He's the one who took my heart, who looked like that hideous picture, and turned around and said, I'll give you a new heart. and with, 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 I'm going to make you, because I make all things new. Amen. That is the message of the gospel. But what happens a lot of times, and I see this a lot, people come up to me and say, Slavic, well, I heard this one preacher said this, and to me that's not very credible, because usually if you just quote me someone else that tells me that maybe what if that person was mistaken i think what we need to do is go back to scripture the mirror of god you know is not someone else's sermon now sometimes god will convict you through those sermons but it's his word this is the ultimate mirror and when we come to this mirror and that's why if we don't spend time in this it's like not seeing what's on our face. It's not seeing what's in our heart. When I read the, this whole passage, uh, Matthew 23, I was like, God, but this is me. This is verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. I can see verse 4 somewhere in my life. Like, and I'm like, this is me. This is what I do. And he starts to convict you. And when you come, and I think, uh, you know, if you come to, to the word of God and looking for, if, if you're authentic, if you say, God, I really want to know your heart in this, Two things will happen. Either you will get very depressed or you'll be very, very enlightened. Just like looking in the mirror, right? When you go to a mirror, you're like, oh, look good. <laughs> Today is my day. Like, right? Like, you, you have those moments and then one morning you wake up and, like, you walk by a mirror and you're like, oh, who's that? Like, the bed hair and, like, you know, you slept on one side of the face and everything sort of gravity took its toll and you're like what who's that right um so you have those moments well the word of god is gonna show you that look in james james says this this powerful um verse 
122 says this, but don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word of God and don't obey it, it's like glancing your, uh, at, at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James is saying is that you can't just go to a mirror and be like, oh, there's toothpaste on my face, there's zits, there's everything. <laughs> okay. And walk away. You can't be doing that. You, you have to take care of that. Otherwise, you will be made fun of. Otherwise, that's still on your face. So, so the word of God is not the one who takes the toothpaste off your face. The word of God shows you what needs to be changed. The word of God is saying, hey, in this area of your life, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to work. But what is our tendency? If you're like me and you have some hair that's very uncontrollable and you wake up with hair that's like this, you just get too lazy and put a hat on it. It's great. Right? And sometimes we feel the same way when it comes to our faces. Oh, I'm too lazy to wash my face, so I'm just going to cover it. A lot of times, obviously, we don't do that Everyone has, by the way, you look fantastic. Uh, but everyone has their face uncovered. But I'm talking about the heart. If we see something in there that we don't like and we're, if we're too lazy to change it, we're ask the Holy Spirit to come and work on that, we'll just cover it. We'll ignore it. We'll put a veil over it and say, you know what? I, I, that's the area of my life I just don't go into. I'm just not ready to talk about it right now. Just not. Like, now, there's times that it has to be done in the right timing and all that, but if you keep on ignoring it, it's not going to go away. The only way that you can actually, you know, take care of a wound that's infected is to open it up and start to work that wound and take what's, what's wrong in it. You can't just put a Band-Aid on it and be like, yeah, it's fine. You can't put a Band-Aid on cancer. You, if you have cancer on your nose, you can't just cover it and be like, oh, it looks just fine. Looks fine with me. I got the, one of those band-aids that actually matches my skin color. It's fine. It's great. You can't cover it. That doesn't take care of it. We have to go in there. And, and I think as we go through this series, God will start to convict you and say, hey, in this area of your life, you need to take care of this. This is a cancer. This is an infection. This is something that needs to be you know, exposed and, and let God heal that. Or we have a different tendency. And... Just don't put a veil on it. Don't cover it. Just put a mask on it. And that's how we have the word hypocrite. If you didn't know how they came up with it, hypocrites are, it was actually, back in the days, were, were actors. And these actors would not use their fo- uh, facial expressions. Like in today in Hollywood, we have people that get into the emotion and, and they, they use their face and all that. But they would have different masks. And they, he would play one character and then he would change the mask and put another mask on. And then he would change, <laughs> you know, and put another mask on. And I think a lot of times in church we do that a lot. You go to worship at Alka and you're like, Jesus is everything. And then you go to work and somebody cuts you off and you become John Chris, but real life, right? Like, and you're like, whoa, whoa. I've literally ha- had so many people come up to me. It's like, bro, I love this person that is such a leader in church, but he's my boss. I know what he does at work. That ain't right. So, so you put one 
You know, and then if you go to a party that everyone there is ungodly, then you become the joker. You become, it doesn't matter how, how vile the joke is. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who that joke destroys. It doesn't matter how sexual innuendos and all these things are mixed into that joke. But you just, because you want to be accepted. So you went from the worship guy to now being the party guy because you just, it's easy. And we've, we've mastered it. And if you uh, live in the community that I live in, uh, we did pretty good. Like coming here, my parents expect me to be, you know, Moldovian at home. And then people expect me to be American at, at, at church and at, you know, at school and at work. And we got pretty good at switching masks. That needs to come off. Because if you veil your face or you put a mask on it, you know the biggest problem with that? Nobody will truly know who you are. And to be loved is to be known. And to receive love, you have to show who you really are. You know why? Because if you put a mask every single time you're with somebody else, then you always have this in the back of your mind. They love the version that I put up, not the true self of who I am. I want you to listen to me on this one. If you are always walking around with masks, if you don't actually, if there's nobody that knows who you truly are, it's problematic. Because you're always going to go on thinking that people really like the version you put up. If you're a husband, you might think, she only loves me because of the version of a husband I put up. It's kind of hard to do that in marriage, but I think we, we become pretty good at acting somebody else. We have to get honest. We have to take any veil off or masks. But maybe you're not as radical, and that's totally fine. And we're getting to John Chris just a second here, right? You can be the worship lady, and you can talk. He has so many, so many awesome videos of this uh, church lady that has a verse for everything when she goes to shopping. You know, it's like, oh, this is the Lord of the day. Has, it's like, I don't think that that's what he means, but she uses it for shopping, right? So maybe a veil and a mask is a bit too extreme for you. And maybe you just settle for cover-up, makeup. I'm going to be thread really carefully here, um, especially for the ladies in the house. I'm so sorry if that, there's nothing wrong with makeup. They should enhance, not cover-up is what I'm saying. But a lot of time, <laughs> I think I just got in trouble. <laughs> Don't tell Pastor Yuri. But I'm going somewhere with this. If the makeup that we have in our spiritual life enhances, that's great. But if he covers up, that's a problem. If the makeup that we have in our spiritual life enhances who we are in Christ, that's a great thing. But if there's zits, if there's an infection, the worst thing you can do is put more makeup on. Queen Mary, I think the second... She kept on putting makeup on because the people back in the day, it was in trendy to look really pale and very white and all that. And she kept on putting makeup on. Unbeknown to her, what she didn't know, that that makeup that she was putting on was filled with lead. So the more she put it on, the more hideous she started to become. Because she, she would break out and then that would infect her face even further and she would cover up even more. It got to a point it was so bad that she smashed all the mirrors in the house because she didn't want to deal with seeing herself in the mirror. 
And history says that she actually died of an infection, which a lot of people think that was because of the infection that she had that finally made into her bloodstream, and that's how it will kill her. Now, I'm no beauty expert to talk about makeup when it comes to the real physical makeup, but I'm talking about the spiritual one here. It's when God has placed so many mirrors in your life, between your pastors and your, uh, the Bible and the sermons that you've listened to, all those are mirrors that show you this is the true self. And if you go around and start smashing them and put more of, and cover more. Uh, so, so what does that look like when you're putting makeup in church? It's like, you know, I just, I just love Jesus. I just have a problem with her. Like, I don't understand, like, what's going on with her? Like, why she can't get it together? So it's like you cover the gossip, you cover the character assassination of people in this like, you know, but I'm telling the truth. Yeah, there's a way to tell the truth and still destroy. God doesn't say tell the truth. He's saying tell the truth in love, gentleness and respect. But we are so committed to like, well, but I'm just right. Well, you can be right and lose that friendship for life. Truth doesn't just have to be told he has to be told in, in gentleness, with respect, in honor. Win your brother over. If you think you have the upper hand in understanding the latest, you know, Calvinistic debate, let me know, please. But, like, if you think that you're more spiritual, I expect you to win your, your brother over. I expect you to win your sister over. If you think your sister's skirt is too short, too long, all that stuff, right? This is a time of you should sit down with her and challenge, but in a loving and gentle way. And say, look, I care about you. I want, I, the reason I'm saying this is not because this is why I'm doing it in private. I'm not, I'm not talking with anybody about this, but is this Christ-like? Because if it isn't, like, I, I'm watching for your soul. I'm praying for you. I care about you. That's how it should be done. Not this like, I'm just going to tell you, because the Lord just told me that you just need to hear this, and, and I don't care how it makes you feel, but you, you need to repent, you know? It's like, whoa. Uh, I always say this illustration. My uncle doesn't come over my house and discipline me because my uncle doesn't pay for my bills. It was my dad. And because my dad paid for my bills, disciplined me, all those things, loved me, cared for me, he gets to discipline me. He gets to tell me, hey, you shouldn't be doing this because I said so. A lot of time in Christianity and in church, we like to tell people, but without investing in those relationships, right. without paying for their bills, without being them their lowest. But you want to tell them that oh, they just need to know. You need to invest in that relationship. You need to, to place to say, hey, I love you so much that I'm willing to, to go whatever i'm willing to lay my life down but you need to know that i care about you and the whole reason i'm saying that is because not because i'm trying to put you down and all that is because i care i want to see you walk with with christ and i guarantee you if you really approach that people will be more inclined to listen he's just when you dismiss him like i don't know if you care or not but i'm just gonna tell you hold your horses a bit here like just just backtrack a second start with serving people and then you'll get to speak in their life. Amen? So, Jesus is saying that you Pharisees, you go make a convert, you make him twice the hell, a son of hell that you are. And this is what I want to pause and say this, is that we can preach until we're blue in the face. But we recreate our disciples exactly of who we are. They become like us. Because they walk in our shoes. 
And that's a scary thing to think about. The people in this church are going to become like me. I better walk in Jesus' shoes. And my whole message should be always pointing to Jesus. Because this responsibility that we have, it's so grand. So if you walk by a mirror, if you walk by the word of the Lord and, and you spend time in it, he will, he will convict you. The, the word will come in your life and say, hey, you need to change this and that. So then the question becomes, well, how do I know what's right and what's not? I think we so overcomplicate this. It's amazing. I just don't really know what God wants me to do. No, just do what is right. How, 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 do, how do you know that? Micah 6, 7 says, Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And that is, he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Not that hard. Do what is right. In every single situation, no matter how confused you are, there will be the Holy Spirit telling you, this is what is right. The Holy Spirit will be faithful to say, this is the direction. And if maybe you don't fully understand the full, full picture, he'll tell you the step that you need to take. And those moments, I hope you ask yourself, I don't really know what to do right now, but what is right? What is merciful? And what is me humbly walking before my God and not walking in pride? Look at this. Galatians 2, 6, 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock, uh, mock God's justice. You'll always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Easy. Just always don't get weary of doing good. And no matter how they treated you, do good. No matter what they say about you, do good. Do what is right by God. And a lot of times when people murder and assassinate your character, you know, you, you want to defend yourself. You want to say it, but that's not who I am. Allow God to defend you. Do what is right by God. That's what we need to do. Do what is right. Next thing is, so many of us complicate this. Uh, James 1.27 says this, True religion is to take care of the orphan and the widow and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. It's not that hard. True religion, true faith is to take care of those who are less fortunate. If it's my immigrant friend, if it's a widow, if it's someone that is going through a difficult time, if it's an orphan, is to take care of people like that. If you know God really has a heart for the orphan and the widow, you will see it through the whole Bible. Yeah. The next thing is to keep yourself unspotted from the world. To be different in the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you love, the way you care. To be different in the way you lead. To be different in every single aspect of your life. To be different in how you stand in the checkout line. To be different in what kind of employee you are. To make sure that you take a 10-minute break if it's a 10-minute break and not a half an hour. To be able to not cheat your employee, uh, employer, uh, you know, if you're an employee, not to cheat your employer. If you're a boss, not to mistreat your, your employees. 
A lot of friends of mine, we, they always make such a big deal. I'm like, oh, I got to dress up for church. I, 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 I got to, church is a different place. I'm like, I said this last, last Sunday, church shouldn't be any different the way you live the rest of your day. The way you live, uh, you live the rest of the week. You shouldn't be any different here than you are out there. If you're a worship, uh, worshiper here, you have to be a worshiper out there. If you're a caring person out here, you should be a caring person out there. If you're doing what's right here, you should be doing that. And if you're not, this is the time to come to the altar. We're going to give you guys a chance after <laughs> to pray. Right? Like This is a time to deal with these things. Do what is right. Next thing is to walk in mercy. And I think this is, so many times we just kind of ignore this. Um, but this is huge. If we look at Jesus, because I'm not saying anything differently than Jesus. That Jesus, the three things he lived by was to do what is right, to be merciful to people who are less fortunate, people that, and, and correct when he has to, but remember he was God. He could call the Pharisees. Now, one day, God might raise you up in a position of leadership where you have to call things for, you know, but until you invested in that, don't just go around and start telling, but I don't think that. And nobody cares about our opinion, no offense. We care about what the, and if your opinion aligns with this, we care about your opinion. But if your opinion does not align with this, I'm sorry. I just, I'm going to have to dismiss it now. And if what I say does not line up with this, throw it out. And I apologize in advance. This is the ultimate standard. This is the ultimate mirror. So do what is right. Walk in mercy. Um, I love this passage that I came across. And uh, for some reason, I didn't print what it's at. But it's verse 10, just in case. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. If you have the opportunity, be merciful. James 2, uh, 13 says this, There will be no mercy for those who have shown, uh, who have not, rather, shown mercy to others. But if you are merciful, or if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. I think a lot of times we just ignore that, right? Like we ignore that like, well, God just loves me. But God is saying, if you are not merciful to others, you will be judged according to the standard. Remember how we, at the beginning we talked about how people were saying like, well, yeah, if, if I was back in the day, I would do the right thing. And Jesus is saying, with those words, you condemn yourself because you have a chance right now to do what is right and you, you don't. So, so what he's saying here is that if you want God to be merciful to you, you need to show mercy. You need to walk on that because you will be judged according to the standard that you set for others. That's why the Bible says the teachers, aka me, um, will be judged harshly, more harshly than others because they knew what is right and they didn't do it. I think one of the most one of the most things I don't like about preaching is this, is that every single, the closest you get to preaching this, the more you realize how your life doesn't measure up. The higher you elevate the, the standard, the more convicted you get of the life that I'm living. Now, of course, to be clear, I'm not out there, you know, but you, you know what I'm talking about. As a preacher, constantly you're elevating the standard by which people should live, and you better be living that. You see what I'm saying? And that's the difficulty. That's the responsibility that we have. And if God has called you to evangelism or preaching or pastorship, you'll know what I'm talking about pretty quickly. Be merciful. 
And the last one is to walk humbly before your God. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, your sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. God is saying here is, look, walk humbly before your God. Pride, uh, there's so many times we, we say this, pride goes before the fall. God opposes the proud. So the next question, whenever you're asking, okay, what is right, what is merciful? Next thing, it should be, am I doing this out of position, out of an attitude of humbleness? Am I doing this out of my pride? Am I saying this about my sister, my brother, because I just want to be, you know, just, just want to lower the bar where do I really care about them? Are you walking in humility before the Lord? Those things are important. I think one of the most difficult things in my own personal walk with the Lord is that the moment I get, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this story, because um, it's kind of crass, but I'll just tell you anyway, because it's not, hopefully nobody, but I, I remember I was so mad at a person, and I, as I, I was just like, because he was criticizing our church, and I was going to go up to him, I'm like, yeah, but what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, what are you doing with, with your life? And I was just like, I had all the speech that I'm going to say, and I could hear the Holy Spirit say, that's not, that's not for me. But I was so set on like doing this, I'm like, I'm just going to get out. And I'm like, I need to take a shower before, but I'm going to get out. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to them. And I am so fired up. And don't picture this, sorry, but I just trying to get into the shower. And as I'm getting in the shower, I slip. I fall in between the toilet and the shower. And I get wrapped into the, the <laughs> curtain. So I'm sorry for the picture, guys, but... <sighs> And there's water pouring all over, right? And my back is just shot because I just hit the, the, the toilet with my back. And I'm sitting there, the most humiliated person alive, I think, at that moment. And I'm like, you know what, Lord? I think I'm going to take your advice. <laughs> I think I'm just going to do this your way. For a moment there, I forgot how sinful I was. For a moment, I was trying to do things because I needed to defend me, not about how God asked me to do things. It's a quick reminder. I'm like, I can't even get in the shower by myself. <laughs> how can I tell people? Like, Lord, and, and I did have a conversation, but it was a lot different than I planned it. it was, I'm sorry for that illustration, but I hope... Y'all take showers, don't even... Um, <laughs> So walk humbly before him. Walk in humility before him. And I want to close with, with this. Is I'm going to ask Annie to, to come on the piano, and then we're going to go into the worship. But uh, there is this pow- uh, powerful verse in 2 Corinthians 3.16 uh, and then 18. It says this, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is, re- t- the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, And whatever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Listen to this. I want you to really listen to this. It says this. So all of us who have had our veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. 
And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What He is saying here, what does, what changes a person? It's not our self-help. It's not our 20-step process. What changes a person, look at, look at this. So all of us who had our veil removed, so we were blind, then God used the law or used the Bible, used His grace, His mercy, His kindness, His love, and He removed. Now we can see what is right, what is merciful. We can see what's in humility and in humbleness. We can see all those things now. He removed the veil. It was meant to say, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What changes a person? I know you missed it the second time. What changes a person is beholding God's glory. Well, beholding, uh, what, what changes a person is to look unto Jesus constantly as we have our face uncovered, our spiritual face uncovered. We, are, we get to see who He is. And as the more time we spend in His presence, more time we spend beholding Him, He changes us, He transforms us. But if we cover our face, be with veil, with masks, with makeup, if we cover it, God doesn't get to work on our face. God doesn't get to work on our heart, is what I'm saying. What changes a person is spending time in His presence. My whole job this morning in our, our worship team in this church is to set the atmosphere that you might encounter the living God. We hope that this is not just the only time that you hear of Him. We hope that you and your car, when you, when you drive home, that you... You create an atmosphere where you say, God, speak to me. We, we hope that in your, the privacy of your own home, you behold Him. Every single decision that you make is to look unto Him. Every single thing that you walk into, Lord, are you leading me there where it's my own self-ambition and my, 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 you know, this, this thing that I have for revenge? What are we motivated by? Because here's the things that the Pharisees missed that I want you to not miss. And the last verse of Matthew 23 says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, uh, stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chick, cheeks, chicks beneath her wings, but you won't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me until you say blessing, uh, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, how much I've wanted, even though you killed all the prophets before me, how much I've wanted to gather you. Like this example that he gives of a chicken gathering her kids, right? Under my wings. I think this, the message this morning is this to use. How long Jesus looks forward to, longs to spend time with you. How long he's been waiting to hear from you. But in his presence, you will have to uncover your face. In, your, in his presence, you will have to deal with 
the true heart that's leading you. So this morning, I want to call you to a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand just yet. But I'm going to ask you, what's the area in your life that the Holy Spirit right now is ministering to you, is telling you that you are a hypocrite in? God knows I've been really convicted just preparing for this message, and I'm like, God, I, that's me. This is me. Like, I, I do this a lot of times. Maybe you don't do it into the level the Pharisees have done it. But this is a place to say, God, would you start working in those areas? God, would you, would you make it ma- more of a big deal if I forgot my Bible than my phone? Unless you have a Bible on your phone, but still, you should bring your Bible, right? Like, God, I hope that I'm one of those people that I respect your presence to be here on time. There should never be a time in this church where our worship starts and half of the people are here. I don't care if my hair is not exactly the way I like it. God, I care more about hearing from you than getting another cheap compliment from another person that's fishing for compliments. God, I care more about you doing a surgery in me than how I feel at the moment and how painful it might be dealing with the things that I'm not willing to deal with it yet. God, would you bring restoration? But if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, I might invite you this morning to make him the Lord of your life and to say, God, I am willing to open every single closet, every single thing to show you who I am, that you might change me. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.